I think mastery is is a state of mind. I think it's not a destination, right? And I I think one of the most defining characteristics of somebody who's pursuing mastery is a component of purposeful practice called frequent discomfort, right? Masters are never satisfied, mm. right? They're content, but they're never satisfied. They're always putting more weight on the bar, right? And, and that really distinguishes masterful performers from their less masterful counterparts. Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. Uh, just another, another amazing guest I can't wait to introduce you to. Uh, as always, I'm so committed to bringing on um, established Christian entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs. Today, we actually have an author uh, who's done all those other things and has now written books. Um, but this is the show to really help uh, established Christian entrepreneurs, business owners, really see their work and their calling uh, as, a, as a true calling, essentially that, that God has called you um, into this work in order to really reflect who he is, to really build and grow businesses for God. And so, so thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, before I introduce the guest, I just want to share a little bit of the impact that he's had on my life from afar. I haven't got to share this with him yet, so he's smiling. Uh, but I, I, think, I think it matters to our conversation today. I remember I was reading his first book called To Create, and uh, I was in a season of life still working for a nonprofit and wanting to begin to kind of go full-time into this entrepreneurial world and activity. But, but so hesitant because the my biggest barrier and the thing that I kept thinking to myself was, am I leaving my biggest impact behind? Hmm. And and that was such a a barrier for me to really go into this full time. And, and reading his book, I remember I was sitting on a plane in Austin, Texas, and I finished that book. And it was such an affirmation to be like, man, I can begin to honor God. I can begin to live for God. I can begin to make an impact for God through my work, through building businesses, through creating wealth. And so uh, just so, so excited to have Jordan on the podcast show. Before I let him speak, I want to just read a quick bit of his bio because I want you to know just the quality of guests that uh, we have on the show today. And so uh, Jordan Rayner, who is our guest today, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's a national best-selling author who helps Christians do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. His book, Call to Create, which I was just talking about, was an instant bestseller back in 2017. And I have no doubt his next book, Master of One, which we're going to be talking about today, is also going to follow suit. Uh, in addition to his writing, Jordan is the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup that has built the world's largest library of 360-degree experience for hotels, restaurants, and attractions. Um, Jordan is, uh, he is a public speaker, well sought off on the topic of faith and work. And uh, has spoken at Harvard, TEDx, many other ho uh, high-profile events. So I'm so, so, so excited to introduce to you today, Mr. Jordan Rayner. I'm happy to be here, man. So the first part of the introduction, before you read what my publicist sent you, I think that was the best intro of all time, man. Talking about the impact of the book in your life, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, incredibly honored. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. No, I wanted to share that. And there was more to that story. I actually spoke with a woman on that plane, too, and told her about the book. And <laughs> it was the first time I think she honestly had ever realized that her work as a government contractor actually hmm. could image the, the person of God. That's beautiful. Yeah, You know what's the weird thing about being an author? So I've spent my whole career as a founder, uh, mostly in B2B businesses. And in a B2B business, you get to talk to your customer whenever you want. You know exactly who they are. You pick up the phone, you set up a meeting, whatever. Uh, as a writer, you have no clue. Yeah, I mean, a lot, most of the people whose lives you impact with your book, you'll never talk to. And so I love hearing stories like that and how God is using this book. Uh, the Lord is doing the work. The Lord is the one who creates results and impact. Uh, he's just using this as one of many tools in a mighty way, I think, to inspire the church to create culture. Go out, 100%. start businesses, not for our own fame and fortune, but as a means of declaring the excellencies of God and loving neighbor itself. It's a beautiful thing, man. And I'm grateful for people like you who get it and are acting on it. So thank yeah. you. 
Yeah, man. Um, well, that's why I'm so pumped to have you on this show. There's not, I'm, oh, this is going to be such a great episode. Make sure everyone do not, we better, like, we better not doing, blow it. We yeah, better not blow it. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, get rid of your distractions. This is going <laughs> to be incredible. So, um, I know that you like you have your own podcast show. You've spoken on yep. these big events. Here, I just got a fun question before we, before we jump in today. Who is uh, who have you been? Because I know you met a lot of people, like a lot of interesting people. I've listened to your own your podcast you have out. Who have you been though the most starstruck? Oh, meet? so easy, so easy. Um, C.S. Lewis's stepson. <laughs> okay, uh, a guy by the name of Douglas Gresham, mm-hmm. who has actually become a good friend uh, over the last few years. I mean, I mean, if, if, so first of all, he's the last person on earth who's alive who personally knew C.S. Lewis, which is just like incredible wow. uh, in and of itself. Spent most of his life, uh, his his childhood living with him. He lived with them from age I think ten to when Jack died when he was eighteen or something like that. And Doug's just the most generous person with his time. I can tell you a great story about smoking cigars with Doug uh, in awesome. London. It's literally <laughs> top five nights of my life. Oh so my yeah, gosh. that that that's probably most starstruck. What, what did you talk about with him? Just quickly. I mean, what what was the conversation like? All right, so um, we're in London because for call when we when we did call the crate and this big giveaway trip to London, whatever it doesn't matter. Uh, point is, I'm at the Goring Hotel. Uh, right behind Buckingham Palace, where the Queen takes her staff to dinner every Christmas. Incredible restaurant, incredible hotel. And yeah, so Doug and me and two of my best friends uh, and the winners of the sweepstakes that I had wow. on at the time had dinner for like two and a half hours at the Gorian Hotel. And then afterwards, uh, the the winners left. So it's just me, my two best friends, and Doug Gresham, uh, C.S. Lewis' stepson, and we're hanging out in the lobby. And he's like, hey, guys, uh, follow me. I'm like, what? And so we just follow him. He acts like he owns the hotel, right? So he walks behind the bar without asking anybody's permission, opens up a drawer, pulls out a box of cigars. He's like, you guys smoke? <laughs> like, yeah, we do. We do tonight. Uh, and so, yeah, so, so we ended up hanging out for another, I don't know, hour and a half. That's awesome. Of this hotel, talking about everything, talking about him. He, he spent a lot of time in Australia. He was a farmer in Australia. We talked about some crazy things that Jack did. Uh, we talked about why Susan didn't get to go to Narnia. Yeah. Uh, it was, <laughs> yes. It was, it was an oh, amazing, man. seriously top five nights. Easily. That, that is awesome. impressive. I know many of our <laughs> listeners are C.S. Lewis fans, so they're going to enjoy that story. Well, man, uh, uh, that is a great way to start. I, I, I want to do something before we get going. There's so much content. I just want to pray and ask God to really bless our time. Actually, Jordan, Easy. if you wouldn't mind, man, would you mind yeah. praying for us and just, just yeah, launch absolutely. us into that? Father, I thank you so much for Ellis. I thank you for this community uh, of founders or, or people who want to be founders, want to start businesses for your glory and the good of others. We just thank you for the gift of work, the gift of entrepreneurship. Thank you for introducing yourself to humankind on the very first pages of Scripture as a God who creates, as a God who brings new things into the world for the good of others. And I pray that that would be the ultimate motivation for all of us, that we would reflect your character well by creating things for others and creating with excellence, because that's who you are. That's your character, Father. Uh, So guide this conversation, uh, and uh, I pray that it would just be edifying. I pray that it would honor you, uh, not me, not Ellis. pray that it would ultimately shine glory uh, on you and your great faithfulness and your character. Amen. 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 So because that first book had such a, a big impact in my life called to create, uh, yeah, I guess I wanted, cause I know you weren't really an author. That was your first yeah. book really. Um, what really led you to write that first book? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so we're going back five or six years now. Uh, I was transitioning out of my second venture and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my life, right? I mean, I, I, had, I had had one successful exit, uh, so I was trying to figure out what was next. I was pretty sure I wanted to start another company, but one Sunday morning, I went to church, and there was somebody, uh, there was a guest preacher, and talking about the need for church planters around the world, and he was describing kind of the ideal profile of church planters, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, he's describing 
entrepreneurs. He's describing me. Like that really is the ideal profile of a church planter. And so I just felt guilt, man. I, I, I remember sitting there feeling guilty. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, have felt like this. Sitting in the pew thinking, man, how selfish am I? Like mm. I want to start another business rather than move to a mud hut 5,000 miles away from home. Like shame on me, right? And so my wife and I started praying about it. We started praying very specifically about planting a church in Washington, D.C., and by the grace of God, I had a godly mentor in my life who knew I was thinking about this. And he pulled me aside. He's like, Jordan, this makes no freaking sense. <laughs> like, 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 I don't understand. You have proven that you are gifted at the craft of entrepreneurship. You've created jobs. You've created wealth. You've had a couple of successful exits. Why in the world do you think that in order to do ministry, you have to go plant a church? Like, don't you understand that your work uh, is worship, that your work as an entrepreneur is mm -hmm. ministry. And I looked at this guy like he had three heads. Like I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, and so he gave me a copy of Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, which I'm sure a lot of your audience has read. Those have ha that haven't, go buy that instead of my book, uh, or maybe in addition to. And um, it just changed my life. I mean, in that book, Keller gives us a really solid baseline doctrine of vocation for you know, for anybody, regardless of, uh, of, of what their job is, uh, and help me understand that my work, not only was it eternally significant, it might be the most eternally significant thing I do in this life. And, um, but I still had really specific questions about how my faith impacted my work as an entrepreneur specifically. So I just went out and I started interviewing people, started having conversations with Christian founders to think about how they approach their ventures differently, started doing research about people throughout time, like Arthur Guinness of the Guinness Brewing Company, uh, and basically just filled up a moleskin of notes uh, and was at some point realized, man, I bet other people have these questions. Uh, yeah. And I think there's a book here. And so we started shopping a book proposal and by the grace of God, got a couple of really good offers. And man, it's the one project that I can point to in my career that just produced exponentially more fruit than I could reasonably expect from my own feeble inputs, right? It just took off. And, and I, I could only explain it as I talk about this in Master of One, actually, as the miracle of divine multiplication, like, like just fruit that I, I couldn't take credit for. And the book continues to sell. It's crazy. I was telling my wife this weekend, I think Call the Great's going to sell forever <laughs> by the grace <laughs> of God alone. I think that thing's just going to keep going, yeah. uh, which is awesome. It's awesome to see. Ah, yeah, I think part of it, man, it was just such a, a digestible book. And, you know, there's there's some other really great ones like Culture Making by Andy yeah, Crouch. And, you know, but the book's a little, it's a little dense where I just found yeah, yours yeah. to be incredibly readable. And it was, it made sense. It resonated. You told good stories. I, I, th I think that was, that's probably a, a big reason why. Yeah, the stories are a big differentiator. I, I learned from stories. I love story-driven books. So Called to Create tells the stories of a bunch of Christian founders. Master of One tells the stories of a bunch of people, founders, mm -hmm. and people across different vocations. You know, it's funny. I um, Right before Called to Create came out, I was having coffee with Scott Kaufman, who edited Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. And uh, talk about being starstruck. I was pretty starstruck at, at Scott Kaufman. And... Um, and Scott was like, hey, so like, what's new in this book? And I'm like, nothing. Like, absolutely <laughs> nothing is new in this book. But I think I'm saying it a different way yeah. uh, for maybe a different generation, just slightly different audience. And I don't know, the Lord just used it to strike a chord and a, a significant sliver of the church. Yeah. Uh, which is I mean, exciting. even your example of, of the Guinness, you know, the Guinness brewery that you used, right? One of my like, favorites, man. You yeah. know, we're making beer here. You know, it's like that, that, that. I mean, the way that that impacted the city and, and the yeah. way that he produced and, and honed in his craft and the way that that honors and reflected God, I just, it's really, really excellent. Really, I've excellent. never talked about this publicly, but that did not make some Christian uh, bookstores happy. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No I remember being kept out of one Christian uh, bookstore, which is no Because you talked about beer making. <laughs> because I talked about Arthur Guinness, yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> well, um, that's okay, because I really enjoyed that part. Uh well, let's go back to you personally, though, because you, yeah. you know, you were kind of in this season of really asking that question about church planning and you wrote this book. Yeah. I mean, personally, what came out of that? Like, what were some of the struggles that, you know, that you were kind of facing? And then how were you able to really, I don't know how to guy really, you know, besides writing this book, how were you really able to stay focused on entrepreneurship? Yeah. So that was kind of, so uh, let, let, me, let me go back in the timeline a little bit. So call to create. 
Uh, I finished writing it in something like September 2016. Uh, at that time, I, I did start my own venture again instead of playing a church obviously uh it was a it was a I, I wasn't sure what i wanted my next big venture to be so i just started doing some consulting work with a bunch of early stage startups it was actually making phenomenal money it, it was it was a great great little consulting business we had equity in nine different ventures eight or nine different ventures and great cash flow uh but one of those ventures that i was doing some consulting work with uh called threshold 360 came and the founders were like hey we've been at this for 18 months we actually think you're the best person to run this thing for the next stage of the venture will you take over and will you bring the venture to market and i was just really excited about what these guys were doing uh, i still i still am very excited about the venture it's still doing very very well today and so i agreed i put all my eggs in that basket so i just finished writing call to create i took over as ceo of threshold 360 in october 2016 uh ended up running it for two and a half years and so it was this odd period of time this amazing period of time where threshold is growing like a weed uh we can talk about what threshold is if you want in a second but threshold is growing like a weed at the same time, a year later, Call to Great comes out. That's how bureaucratic traditional publishing is. I finished writing it in September of 2016. It hit bookstores November of 2017. Uh, so the book comes out, and the book just starts to take off too. And so I have these two things, right, uh, that are growing at the same time that, that leverage pretty much the same skill set for me as an entrepreneur. But I knew I had to put all my eggs in one of those baskets. I couldn't write another book uh, or, or continue to go down this path of being an author and uh, run this tech startup at the same time. I had to choose one. It was the hardest choice I ever had to make professionally, but I, I chose producing content products instead of software products. And so I spent about a year trying to recruit my replacement as CEO of Threshold 360. Uh, and I left back in March of 2019. Uh, March 1st of 2019 was my last day as CEO. Uh, I still serve as executive chairman of the board of that venture. So I still have a toe dipped in those waters and I'm still involved with that team. Uh, but now I'm all in, focused on creating content products that helps any Christian, but particularly Christian entrepreneurs, since that's who I know, do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. So my story, honestly, is kind of the story of this next book, Master of One, yeah, right? Sounds I, like I it. Yeah, absolutely. I basically came to a place where I was like, I can't keep doing both of these things. The path to mastery is the path of less but better mm. focus and it continually pruning the non-essential so we could focus on the essential work the Father's given us to do. Yes. Amen. Yeah, no, I was going to say that seems like the foundation of your next book, The Master of One, right? Which It's a deeply, per I mean, listen, this isn't an autobiography, right? I don't think I'll ever write an autobiography, but uh, it was a deeply personal book. Very, yeah. very personal. So, because that's interesting. You said one of my questions for you was, I know that you had stepped down as CEO to, you know, into this chairman position. So yep. a lot of that has to do with just staying focused and, and knowing what you want to be a master at. Yeah, I, I think there are three factors there right so and by the way i'll say this running threshold 360 as ceo was like the most fun two and a half years i've ever had it was a blast when you're growing that quickly and building a team that quickly i mean when i left we were at about 50 people it's just a rush and when i when i took over the venture we were at like five people right uh and so uh, i left for three reasons uh, number one, I was on the road way too much away from my family, right? Uh, and that was a deal breaker. Uh, number two, the venture had gotten to a different stage. And I genuinely believed that there was somebody out there who was better qualified to take the venture to the next level, right? Like, I'm a great CEO to go from zero to one uh, in a venture. I'm probably not the best guy to go from one to 1.1 to 1.2. Like that's just not that interesting to me. And sure enough, we found somebody better than me for this stage of the venture to take the venture to the next level. And then the third reason, yeah, was focus, was just knowing that I couldn't continue. Uh, I couldn't pursue being a world-class writer and mm -hmm. content entrepreneur, which is really how I see myself, uh, while at the same time being a world-class software entrepreneur. It's just... There, there was no way I couldn't do it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. And I, um, I don't know, maybe this is too broad of a question. And if it is, then maybe we'll just need to bring you back again to talk specifically right. about the business. But yeah. you said your sweet spot is at zero to 1 million. I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably there, you know, maybe doing six figures, but maybe haven't quite hit that seven figure threshold. What would you say that if you're at that six figure mark and you're really trying to push to that seven figure mark, what are some of the key areas of focus that 
that you would say most CEOs of their companies should stay focused on? Yeah, so let me clarify something real quick. When I say zero to one, I'm not talking about zero to one billion. I'm just saying the art of, uh, you know, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, the art of going from nothing to having a viable venture, right? So, but, but I will answer your question. So to make the leap from, let's call it, you know, 250K in revenue to, to, to a million, I think it takes the CEO, a couple of things. I think it takes the CEO being able, perhaps most importantly, to discern the essential from the non-essential. I remember one of our investors at Threshold pulled me aside one day. He's like, hey, if there's one thing we should be looking for in other founders to invest in, what is it? And that was my answer. Like somebody who is really good at discerning what's important because in a, in a venture, when you're growing really quickly, everything looks important, but pretty much nothing is, right? And so having the wherewithal to understand what is and, and focus intensely on those things and not be distracted by non-essential things that may be more fun to focus on, right, is, is a really critical skill set. I think the other is just you know, understanding which tasks and roles you as the CEO are uniquely qualified to fulfill. Uh, and being able to effectively delegate uh, and, and and manage down the organization and push push the non-essential stuff off your plate. I mean, uh, I think that's number two. And then third and finally, I would say, you know, obviously to go from let's call it two fifty to a million, you got to sell, 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 sell. Yeah. <laughs> I think where I think what trips up a lot of founders though is forgetting that customer success is sales. Mm especially in that stage of the venture. And, you know, listen, entrepreneurs, by and large, painting with broad strokes here, are salespeople. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a salesperson. I love sales. I love the high that comes with closing the deal. And it can be very, very difficult to, as soon as one deal's closed, not to jump to the next one. You got to get in with that customer and make sure that they are not just happy, but unbelievably happy mm. and are going to do your marketing for you, right? Because if you don't, you're never going to experience exponential growth. That's so huge. I mean, just that's really helpful for me to hear. I thought it was a selfish question, right? Because I'm trying to push that. I love thing. selfish <laughs> questions on podcast, man. That's all I ask on my podcast. Purely selfish questions. Help me, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I help my listeners, you help me. Um, no, that's really good. Essential versus non-essential. Knowing what you're good at, delegating the rest, sell, 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 focus on customer success. That's excellent. Yeah. Especially that, that first one, the essential versus non-essential. In the startup, man, that's so hard to do so much, you know, because you see everybody, oh, they're doing this, I'm doing this. Like, uh, so that, that's really key. That's a real skill and, and something to really, I think, work on. Yeah, and I'll give a really practical tip for how to do that uh, to your listeners, right? So, um, you know, I found it very helpful at Threshold. Uh, I, I break my day into 90-minute blocks, right, with 15 to 30-minute breaks in between, right? So after my first 90-minute block of the day, I would take a 30-minute walk around downtown Tampa. I would try my hardest not to look at my phone, and I would just think. I would just examine everything in my mental Rolodex and in OmniFocus, my task management system, that's competing for my attention, that looks important. And I would just take time and space to be quiet and really pray and really think about which of these things once accomplished is going to make everything else easier mm. and, and on a daily basis, right? Uh, and just having the discipline, that was, that was tremendously helpful. Also helpful for me was, you know, we had quarterly OKRs, objectives and key results. That helped me focus my to-do list, yeah. right? So if we got to hit this goal for the venture in order to raise the next tranche of capital or in order to get to this revenue run rates, um, based on that, what me and my team decided was essential every three months because you can't, you know, change it every week. Uh, what What's important today? Right. Yeah. No, that's so huge, man. I love that. The the ninety minute blocks of time. Oh, dude, that's great. That's great. Yes, I swear tip, by. I swear. That's a good by. tip. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna start implementing something like that. Um. Okay. Before we get into the the new book, there's one other question I want to ask you, because a lot of our listeners already know we have a mastermind, Kingdom Capitalist Mastermind, for established Christian entrepreneurs, business owners. Um. Incredible group so far. Who's already a part of this. Um, and I know that you have a mastermind as well. Uh, yeah. That's how we introduced actually. And so, I, first of all, I think I just want to, I want to know um, what has come out of that mastermind group. Um, I just want to know some things you've learned about it. You know, I, I think in some ways we're all trying to figure out how to we best utilize this group and the people in this group. And so maybe I would love to hear, and I know our, our other li- listeners might want to hear, what has come out of the mastermind for you and also for the members? 
man, there's been a lot that, that's come out. It's funny. I was just looking at an email from one of my members about the, the impact that the collaboratories had on him and his business. Um, man, I think the number one thing that's come out of it is just like deep community, like mm -hmm. real community. Like we share some like pretty tough stuff that only other Christian founders could understand, right? In the, in this group. And um, I think just sharing like really painful experiences, questions about ambition, questions about oh, my business is at, you know, $4 million in revenue. Like, why am I still doing this? And, and, be, and being able to remind each other that we are, you know, as N.T. Wright says, creating for the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the ultimate motivation uh, beyond economic security, quote unquote. Uh, so that, that's been really beautiful to come out of it. Um, I, that, that's the big one, right? So there've been very yeah. practical like business lessons. I, I think most people in the group would say that they've gotten at least one or two insights out of the collaboratory that have more, uh, that then made it worth it for them, right? Uh, but these people are like all in. And uh, it's just, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal group. We have some incredible founders. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I, I really haven't marketed it very much uh, at all. Like we sent one email way back when uh, and we sold out really quickly uh, of, 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 the, of the collaboratory. So, you know, it's, it's probably something we'll do more of uh, in the future. Uh, but, you know, again, being mindful of, you know, focus, I can't do more than one. There's no way. And I told these guys, I'm like, I'm doing one group, period. Uh, and we're going to bring other people on the team to facilitate others. But yeah. one's kind of my max. And I love the group that I, I get to be a part of. I, don't, I really, honestly, I don't even know that I feel like a leader of it. I, I'm a, you know, kind of co-participant in it. Is that how you structure it? Is it like a virtual roundtable each month or... Or how do you actually get the most out of that time? Yeah, so uh, I, I do I do lead it, right? So I do a devotional exclusively for the collaboratory. Like a, it's almost like a sermon, honestly, mini sermon, about 15 minutes uh, on a topic relevant just for Christian founders. Uh, then I do 15 minutes of teaching on a really practical business topic. So we just... Um, we just taught through the OKR framework, objectives and key results, and how that evolved uh, at Threshold and how it's evolved for my team at Jordan Rainer and Company. Uh, and then we go through a hot seat rotation, 30 minutes, somebody gets up, presents a big question or a big opportunity to the group. The group asks clarifying questions, and then we hop in and give advice and help solve the issue. That is that is like phenomenally productive. Yeah. People have gotten some incredible insights out of that. But honestly, you know what? You know what my favorite part of the group is? Is when we pray for each other. Mm. Like we spend... And we don't rush it, right? So we have three hours together every month. And I bet we spend 30 to 45 minutes just praying for each other. Um, and not just taking requests, right? But but actually going around the table and praying for requests. It's really beautiful. And then we have a spreadsheet that we you know, share those requests with each other and uh, pray throughout the month for each other. That's excellent. That's We're going to definitely do that. That's excellent. Yeah, I love it. That's really good. Another selfish question. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's get into uh, this next book that um, that is coming out uh, probably the week that we launched this episode is what we're trying to line yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so folks can go to Amazon or I know jordanrainer.com and find the book. We'll link both of those in the show notes page. Um, but this book is called Master of One and I just finished it. It's excellent. I, I, you gave us a copy or we bought a copy, however we did it for every member in our mastermind. I love um, it. And uh, I'm so, I don't know if they've got into it, but I'm so excited to talk about it with them. But let me ask you this before we kind of get into this book. Um, it's about mastery. I guess my question for you, because I have my own opinion on this, but but why do you think this book is so relevant for, for right now, for where we are in 2020? Yeah, I think, and I think this is particularly challenging for entrepreneurs, right? We are so good at spreading ourselves thin. We are so good at getting distracted and having our hand in so many different things. Uh, and I, I think when you do that, uh, over time, you just get kind of mediocre at a lot of different things uh, as opposed to going really big on one thing uh, and, and really mastering it. And I believe as I outlined it called the great, you know, the purpose of work is the purpose of life uh, to glorify God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And how do we glorify God through our work? You know, John Piper says that to glorify God simply means to reflect his greatness, right? To reflect his character of excellence. How do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Uh, you know, I believe the opposite of mastery is mediocrity and mediocrity is nothing short of a failure of love and a misrepresentation of our father. And so, um, I, I, I just, 
I believe that the topic, I, I knew I wanted to write a book on excellence uh, and, and, and why the church should have exceptionally high standards for our work, right? So Call to Create was written just for entrepreneurs. Master of One is written for kind of any Christian who works. Uh, so I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about why excellence matters for the Christian and, and then provide a really practical path to doing our most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. And in my opinion, and based on what I see in academic literature and business literature and in the interviews we conducted with 25 world-class performers, uh, you know, the path of mastery, the path of less but better. It's about mm -hmm. continually focusing on fewer things uh, so that we can focus on the work God gave us to do. And I actually think Jesus is maybe the best model of that, which which obviously you read about already in the book. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask you about that. You might as well go into that since you just yeah. mentioned that. Can you give us an example? Yeah, I know you use many in the book of how Jesus actually practiced mastery of something or how maybe he he didn't do a lot of, he didn't try and do a lot of different things. Yeah, I think you see in the Gospels Jesus saying no all the time, right? I could I could list out a bunch of verses, but he, you know, one of the biggest themes of Master of One is that if we are unwilling to say no to the non-essential in order to focus on the work that we feel called to master, we're really kind of selfishly holding back the contribution that God has called us to make in the world. And I think Jesus really understood this. So uh, one of my favorite scenes in Scripture is in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we see Jesus on a, a particularly productive day. He drove out demons from the man at the synagogue. Then he went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and healed her. Then everybody from the town kind of crowded uh, Peter's mother-in-law's door, and Jesus spent time healing the people in the town. And Jesus goes to sleep. Everyone goes home. And the next day, uh, Jesus wakes up early like he frequently does goes out and finds quiet solitude alone. Uh, and the disciples find him and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. The people would come back and they want a healing spree, you know, an encore of the healing spree on day two. And in Mark one thirty eight, it says, uh, Jesus says, let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Right? So Jesus didn't come just to heal and reveal his identity. His essential mission or his one thing, if you want, right, was to preach the gospel in word and deed. And he was super clear on his purpose. Right, He knew what he was saying yes to, what the Father was calling him to say yes to. And that led him to constantly say no to really good things. I mean, healing was a good thing. But it wasn't the most essential thing for him in that uh, particular moment. So listen, if Jesus can't say yes to everything, <laughs> uh, neither can I. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's kind of the heart of this book. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes it seems, as I'm learning this, the path to mastery is often saying no to, to good things, to good, good things. endeavors. To good things. I mean, yes, it's, what you, it's, it's your story as well. You had to yeah. say no yes. to yes. threshold. It wasn't because Threshold was bad. It wasn't because Threshold right. was failing. It wasn't because I hated it. I loved it. We were phenomenally successful. But I couldn't say yes to that and say yes to this other thing at the same time. And I, I just, I see so many entrepreneurs fail because of this. I see so many people fail because of this. Entrepreneur or not. I just really felt compelled to write this book. And by the way, I, I saw this early in my career, being distracted by too many things. Uh, some people could pull it off, right? Steve Jobs somehow was able to run Pixar and Apple at the same time. I'm no Steve Jobs. And I'll tell you what, he's the exception that proves the rule. Point to, point to, point to many other people that have been able to do two, uh, two things at epic scale before at the same time and do them exceptional. Well, it's hard, man. It's yeah. really, really hard. So in your first book, you use Guinness. In the second yeah. book, you got me again because you got one of my favorite places in all of the world. You use it in the first chapter. Oh, and I'm telling you, everywhere I go, anytime anyone says, well, you know, I lived in Spain for six months. Yes. And they're like, well, what, you know, where should I go? What should I do? I'm like, whatever you do, go to Barcelona. And I don't care how long the line is. If it wraps around the entire city, you make sure you go into La Sagrada Familia. It's unbelievable. It is a masterpiece. It's unbelievable. It's and the most spectacular thing I've seen on earth. Like, I, it's incredible. It's worship. I mean, literally. It's worship. It I is literally worship. worship. Like, get the headset, walk through it. It's incredible. Yeah. So I, the question I have for you is yeah, yeah. why this church is such a powerful symbol for the book? 
Oh, man. It's the most powerful symbol for the book, uh, which is why I'm giving away a trip to go see it. We could talk about that a little bit later. Um, I'm entering, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, you should. Oh, my gosh. Please do. Uh, so uh, the church was, was designed, uh, La Sagrada Familia, was designed by this guy named Anthony Gaudi. Uh, who's this, who was already a world-famous architect right before he started working on the church. He spent the first few decades of his career designing uh, what even today are some of Barcelona's most famous attractions. Uh, but later in his career, Gaudi felt this need for focus, and he started to catch a vision for this new project, which would be a church that would be so large and so intricate and so masterful that it would quite literally, as First Peter says, proclaim the excellencies mm. of God. And, uh, you know, he always had his hand in a bunch of different projects at the same time throughout his career. Uh, but he was convinced so much of what I'm arguing to master of one, that the path to doing our most masterful work is the path of less but better, that he decided to focus exclusively on the church for the last 12 years of his life. It's all he did. So he just spent time designing and architecting this thing that he knew would be completed in his lifetime, right? Uh, and his designs were so intricate that the church is still being constructed today more than 135 years after he started work on it. It's actually almost finished. It's going to be finished in 2026. Uh, but it's already a, a, an unbelievable masterpiece. You can visit it today. Most of the church is done. You can go inside and see it. And it's just... It it really it really is so difficult to put into words. I had so much fun writing about the the story in the book, but it was so difficult because you really have to see it to believe it. And so, uh, as I just alluded to a couple minutes ago, we're actually giving away a trip for uh, somebody, some someone who orders Master of One before January twenty seventh, is going to get to take the friend of their choice to Barcelona to go see La Sagrada Familia in person. Uh, and then I'm actually going to fly to Barcelona and take them to dinner. We're going to hang out in Barcelona. Uh, and then uh, the winner and their friend are going to go on a seven-night European cruise. Wow. Uh, yeah, here's the deal, man. I think, <laughs> I think author pre-order campaigns are like the lamest things in the world. It's like, buy my book and like, get a free chapter. It's like, I'm going to give away a trip to La Sagrada. Yes, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, so yeah, it's going to be fun. Ah, yeah. I'm so thankful for that example. I just remember stepping into that church and thinking like, I under I can understand why you would go to this detail because I, I literally sat there in multiple times thinking, man, I, I feel like I'm worshiping God as I look at the architect of this church. And is that not the point of our work, right? Jordan, and all that you've written and argued for, like that is when people look at what we're doing, when people listen to this podcast show, I hope they think, man, God is great. You know, when I walked into that church, wow, we serve an amazing God, and I see it all over this church. Yeah, and the, the church does it in a very literal way, right? So the church, uh, Gaudi wanted to create a church that would um, tell the entire history of Christianity physically in a building, right? So you have the nativity facade, you have the resurrection facade, you have the spires on top of La Sagrada Familia that represent the disciples and Mary and Jesus, right? So it's all very intentional, uh, but all of it. The, the, the purpose of uh, Gaudi creating such a masterful piece of art was to point you to the glory of God, was to point you towards the kingdom. And listen, your work as an entrepreneur, my work as an entrepreneur isn't going to do it that explicitly, but all of us, by creating great work, by focus on being masters of our craft and creating things that are true and point people to the kingdom uh, and the principles of the kingdom, uh, being kingdom capitalists, right? Uh, we have an opportunity to do the same thing, to proclaim the excellencies of God in everything that we do. Well, to that point, I want to ask you a follow-up point because this is a, a big piece of your book as well. What would you say to the viewpoint when someone says that we work hard or we build businesses for the sole purpose, like we get successful or we work hard, you know, so that we can share Christ with others. Like my question is what is missing in that view of work? If the only reason we're working or the only reason we're creating is so that we can share with the lost. Yeah, I think there's a lot missing there. Uh, most foundationally, a solid theology of heaven. <laughs> I, I actually think like, that's the root problem uh, in the church. And, and I, I'm actually thinking about writing a book on this topic. Uh, but you know, if we believe 
that heaven is just this, you know, uh, place in the clouds with harps, and we have no solid theology of the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom that will come here, right? Uh, then I think it's easy to just focus on saving souls, right? Then the purpose of work is just to make money, to fund missionaries, to share the gospel, or the only purpose of our work is to share the gospel with our employees. And listen, that's a good thing. We should share the gospel with our employees, with our customers. Absolutely, 110%. Don't hear me wrong. I'm all about sharing the gospel. Uh, and I see my businesses you know, open up doors to do that. But that's not the most fundamental purpose of mastery. That's not the most fundamental purpose of work. We are called to glorify God and love our neighbor as ourselves, and those are good things in and of themselves. So I see the purpose of work as multifaceted. Number one, it's to glorify God. Number two, this ne isn't necessarily sequential, right, uh, is to love neighbor ourselves. Number three is to make disciples. We can make disciples at work. And number four is to create for the kingdom, right? We are told that heaven will come down to earth, that this will be our ultimate resting place. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the longest section of scripture about heaven, Paul's writing about heaven, talking about the hope that we have in heaven. You would expect him, the way most uh, people at, in, in the modern workplace act, you would expect him to say, okay, so heaven's coming, so the only thing that matters at work is for you to go save souls. But it's not what he says. He says your labor is not in vain. Your labor, your work has eternal significance. Somehow, I don't know how this is going to work. N.T. Wright, the world's preeminent New Testament scholar, doesn't know what this is going to look like. Uh, and Bitsy doesn't know what this is going to look like. But our work will last into eternity, right? Somehow. Somehow, God is going to take some of what we do in this life and work it into the new heavens and the new earth. And that's beautiful and that's inspiring. And even if nothing physically manifests itself in the uh, new heavens and the new earth, I think everything that we do is an opportunity to be signposts to the kingdom, to point people to truth, to point people to the characteristics of the kingdom, to stir up a longing in all of us, in every non-believer for truth for righteousness, for the kingdom, right? If all we do is stir up those emotions in people and put them on a path closer to finding the truth that can only be found in Jesus Christ, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So good. So, so good. I I, I know that's going to serve so many in our audience. I hope so. I'm the so. goal is not retirement. Correct. Right? <laughs> uh, Correct. So, uh, man, the goal is heaven, and the goal is to, to usher that here in what we're doing right now. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, so good, Jordan. Thank you for that. So the, the book, Pursuing, you know, Master of One, um, I'd, be, I'd be amiss if we didn't talk about mastery, right? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. How do we really pursue mastery? And, and you lay out some just what, I, you know, you, you, you tell great stories, you kind of give a good foundation, but it is really practical as well. Yeah. And uh, this is the Kingdom Capitalist Show, and we do have people who are really trying to get to that next level in their business, rather that six to seven or seven to eight or, or, or above. And so um, as we talk about mastery and getting becoming a master of our skill or our craft or our business, um, you give a couple steps there. And uh, we've already actually talked about the first step, and maybe we could talk about it a little bit more, but maybe you would lay those out for us. Uh, just those steps, and then we can kind of for the next five minutes or so just kind of pick apart, yeah, pick apart those. Sure, yeah. So uh, the the book started with a question, which is like, how do we do our most exceptional work for the glory of God and good of others? Like, what is the path to finding and focusing on and mastering the work God created us to do? Uh, and through my conversations with people like Scott Harrison at Charity Water and Tony Dungy, the NFL Hall of Fame coach, and uh, great founders, great people across a bunch of disciplines, there, there was a pretty predictable path. Right. Uh, so I call it the path to mastering the book. Four steps. Step one is exploration. So experimenting a lot in your career until you find the one thing worth committing to vocationally. Step two is choosing. And I use that word very deliberately. I do think we choose our calling to a large degree. Uh, number three is elimination. So once we've chosen what we're going to go big on, uh, eliminating everything else that might be a distraction. Uh, and then number four is mastery, which really isn't a step. It's a little unfair to call it a step. Mastery is a lifelong pursuit. We never arrive at the destination of being masters of a craft. Mastery is a mindset. Right. And so uh, in that chapter, maybe maybe one of my favorite chapters, uh, definitely the most practical, I outline kind of the three keys to mastering whatever your thing is vocationally, if it's entrepreneurship or something else. Uh, how do we get world class uh, at that? 
let's go. I, I, let's go into that because I think yeah, yeah, that who great. we're who we're serving or who's listening to this podcast are they know what their one thing is yeah they they're know in. what their one thing is they're in yeah they're, let's talk about mastery they're doing yeah. well so what we want to talk about is how do we make them exceptional in that yeah. craft let's do it so here's the deal right so we i had a research team on the book uh scoured academic literature scoured business literature and then obviously we did these interviews and three keys to mastery kept coming up over and over and over again right uh, number one is apprenticeships. Uh, and in the book, I talk about um, th this can look really one of two ways. One is a direct mentor-protege relationship. Uh, the other is what I call an indirect apprenticeship, right? So where you go buy a course from somebody uh, or, you know, are in a mastermind group and are submitting yourself humbly uh, to a mentor. I guess a mastermind group isn't a good example, right? But somebody that you don't have a direct relationship mm -hmm. with, right? So number one is apprenticeships. The second key to mastery, uh, which I'm sure your listeners know a lot about, is purposeful practice, right? So a lot of us are familiar with the 10,000-hour rule. It takes 10,000 hours of not just any practice, but purposeful practice to get world-class at anything. Uh, and purposeful practice uh, distinguishes itself from what's called naive practice in that purposeful practice is uh, sets specific goals. Uh, it includes intense focus, rapid feedback, and frequent discomfort, right? So first key to mastery, apprenticeships. Second key, purposeful practice, which has those four components. And then the third and final key to mastery, I think this is what a lot of people, what, what trips up a lot of people, is just discipline over time. Just recognizing that in order to get world-class at something, in order to build a world-class company, it just takes a long freaking time, way longer than any entrepreneur, uh, any you know, overly optimistic like myself, entrepreneur estimates on the front end of thing, uh, of things. So that those those are the three keys to mastery that we walk through in the book. Yeah, it's so interesting on that last point. You know, like doctors, they go to school for freaking <laughs> forever. You know, lawyers, they go to school for forever. Right, and, right. And entrepreneurs have this air about them as if like, you know, we can. We can do and this. I, and I say entrepreneurs, I'm really saying Ellis here, you know, yeah, Ellis yeah, me thinks too, me too. that he can do this in two years, you yeah. know, and, and become doctorate in right. entrepreneurship. And, right. and that's not the case. And so it's not the case at all. Um, not, it, it's, it, it, uh, entrepreneurs are so optimistic and arrogant uh, to some degree, right? Let's be honest, right? That we, we think we can just like, cert, you know, shortcut these things. And it just takes time. It takes a long freaking time to get great at this. And I think for entrepreneurs, going back to kind of that first key to mastery, apprenticeships, I think this is really lost too. I think this art of like humbly submitting ourselves real in a really vulnerable way to people who are way further down the path to us. It's something I didn't do until later in my career. Honestly, I really think Threshold was the first experience where I really did that, right? So when I took over a CEO of Threshold, I was running my own consulting firm and uh, for early stage ventures and it was doing well, but like I wasn't growing exponentially. I was growing very marginally, but then I took over a CEO threshold and I was reporting to a board and investors who were phenomenally successful, multi-billion dollar exits. Uh, and I'll tell you what, man, I grew exponentially faster uh, than I would have if I'd stayed on my own without that direct apprenticeship. And I had indirect apprenticeships, right? I read books, whatever. Uh, but like, you know, reading a book just isn't the same as a world-class master getting to know you and your specific flaws and your specific pain points and coaching you through those. It was, it was life-changing. How would you go about finding an apprentice like that? Oh man, this is so hard. I always get asked this question. Uh, so, Listen, I, it, it, there's lots of different, lots of different ways, right? So, in in our age of the boom of coaching and mastermind groups, uh, it's not that hard, right? Now, I will I will say this: I think for Christian founders, I think there's a lot of value in that person uh, being a Christ follower. I don't think it's essential, right? But I think it's really, really helpful. Uh, but you know, search your networks. You know, figure out one one. Be really clear what you want to be masterful at, the type of venture right. you want to run, right? If you want to be a great software, uh, you know, founder of a of a SaaS business, you probably don't want somebody mentoring you from oil, right? Like I, I don't know, that's probably not a good fit. There's there's some lessons that are transferable, but find somebody who's done what you want to do and are three five steps further down the road, uh, and just ask to have coffee once a month. I, I think we like really play up mentorship a little too much. We try to make it too formal. Uh, I mean, honestly, with my board, 
it was a you know monthly board meeting. Yeah. It was just like what I could replicate in a coffee in a lot of right. ways and being right. reporting and asking tough questions and asking for critical feedback. What do you, uh, here's a fun question. What do you think about side hustles then? Because there's yeah. all this trend on side hustles. You know, are you completely against side hustles? I'd love to get your, your feedback on that. This is, I, I've changed my mind a lot about this over the years. Uh, here's where I'm at today. And I've, I've kind of been here for, for a, a few years now. I think once you've found your thing, when it's, this is like clearly the thing that you really want to double down on and become masterful at the venture or the vocational discipline. I'm not a fan of side hustles. I'm not like, I, I think, I think when you're still in experimentation mode or you're doing, you're in a nine to five, right. And you don't want to be doing that nine to five forever. And so you want to start your, your venture on the side. Of course that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. But once you've found the thing, no, like right now for me, so uh, really practical when I was running threshold, I thought writing might be my one thing. I wasn't sure, right? But I placed a little bet. I wrote a book, right? That was a side hustle for a, a number of years until it was clear that that was the thing. Now that I'm able to do that one thing full time, why in the world would I have a side hustle? That would be so dumb, right? <laughs> like, like I want to spend all of my time pouring it. It's right. so funny. It's so funny. You know what? Because I, I do believe in range. I do believe in having a wide range of interests uh, and experiences. But once you've found the one thing, like I don't have a hobby. I don't have a hobby. Mm -hmm. I read books, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I felt guilty about that for a long time. They're like, oh man, I should really try to be a world-class like triathlete or golfer or whatever. I'm like, you know, no, like this is my thing. I'm building this company. I can't be exceptional at building this company and an exceptional father and husband and I don't know, polo player right. at the same time. Well, it's uh, interesting too, like in the sense of a side hustle is normally well, the way you're talking about it is like a side hustle is typically t thought about when you're not pursuing Correct. something Correct. that you're all in on, right? And it's, I'm all about that. All yeah. about it. Yeah. I'm all about side hustles. If your main thing, the thing you're spending the majority of your time on, isn't the thing you want to do long term, I'm all about side hustles, yeah. right? That's, That's what I did good. with writing. I, writing was a side hustle for five years for me right. until I came to the place where I said I wanted to dedicate myself full time to it. Yeah, no, it's really good. Okay, as, we, as we're kind of wrapping up this, a couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, just to, to shoot off as far as mastery goes, and I know you touched on this at the end of your book, but I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to know, um, when do we know that we've arrived at mastery? At mastery itself? Uh, I don't think we do. I really don't. I, 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 think, I think mastery is, is a state of mind. I think it's not a destination, right? And I, I think one of the most defining characteristics of somebody who's pursuing mastery it is a component of purposeful practice called frequent discomfort, right? Masters are never satisfied, mm. right? They're content, but they're never satisfied. They're always putting more weight on the bar, right? And, and that really distinguishes masterful performers from their less masterful counterparts. Totally, man. I'm so glad you said that. Like I think about all of the elite people, like the, the, you know, like, and it's so crazy. Like, it took me a while to understand what they were saying, but as I was kind of in this pursuit of entrepreneurship and trying to just go to that next level mentally, I kept hearing people say, like, um, uh, gosh, they would talk about the struggle and, uh, you know, they almost enjoyed when they didn't have anything and they were having to kind of struggle more than they do now that they have it all and they've accomplished their goals. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, and, I, and I begin to get that about the elite people who are, who are really pursuing mastery. It's like, it's not ever really about the destination. It's right. always about the process. Yeah. 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 There's so much wisdom in that. Yeah. It's always about the process. That, that, and it's, it's, that's the fun part, right? Yeah, it's I, saying, better, you can, actually, I don't actually think out. you can be a yeah. master of something if you don't love the process. I agree. Right. I agree. That, that said, I will caveat that by saying, I think we, um, I think a lot of times we expect cosmic level happiness from our work instantly upon its starting, right? So if I say, man, I'm, I'm passionate about entrepreneurship and I finally start my first venture, I think we expect it mm -hmm. to feel like immensely satisfying right away. It's not how it works. Passion grows with mastery. As you get better at serving others, you are granted greater and greater vocational joy, right? Which by the way, I think this is like, 
biblical, right? I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, share the master's happiness, right? The, 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 the servants who invested the capital well, right? We, we're not told that they were passionate about the work. We're just told that they did the work and they did the work well. And then they were invited to share his joy, his happiness, because that's the point. The glory of God is the point. Serving others well is the point. That's the most fundamental purpose of doing masterful work. And when we do so, we're invited to share in his happiness. Is that the hope that you would give for those who are pursuing mastery? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of hope, right? I think the Bible has a number of promises for us when we do excellent work, right? In Proverbs, it says that uh, those who do excellent work will not stand amongst, that we will stand before kings, right? Not before obscure men. So I think mastery brings power, right? Which I talk about in the book, power that's not to be hoarded, but to be doled out sacrificially in service of others. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think mastery brings this deep soul level satisfaction of vocation that doesn't happen, you know, your first you know, month or year, or maybe in two or three years of entering a venture or entering a vocation, it grows over time. Yeah. What warning would you give to those who are not pursuing mastery? Or what warning I, would you give to those who are just kind of spread out, who are not really applying what you've wrote about yeah. the master of one? Yeah. So if you don't care about mastery, I, I think there's a, I think there's an issue, and I think I think your listeners do, right? I mean, your listeners are ambitious founders; they care about excellence, which is great. And as Christians, I think we ought to have, I think we ought to care deeply about excellence because I think excellence reveals the character of God and loves our neighbor as ourself. Uh, but for but for the person struggling with focus, I think that's probably a more common challenge. My warning is like, I, I, you know, I just don't see a lot of great examples of people who are able to accomplish great work, exceptional work, not mediocre work. Uh, we're not called to be good at a lot of different things. I think we're called to be exceptional uh, at, at few things, right? I just think it's really hard to find examples of people that are exceptional, masterful, at more than one thing vocationally at the same time, right? And I, I, I caveat that because I do think people are called to master, some people are called to master different things in different seasons of life, right? It could be a different venture, right? It could be a different vocational discipline entirely. I mean, Michelangelo mastered different art forms over different decades and periods of his life, right? But wherever you are right now, I think entrepreneurs always overestimate the number of things that they can do well. Uh, I, I think we got to really take a hard look at everything we're doing and do less so we can do it better. Yeah. Jordan, what's the biggest struggle for you as a Keenum capitalist? Uh, this is an easy one. Um, I am way too emotional as a founder. And I think, I, 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 I think overly emotional people typically make bad founders. Right? I think just because of the crazy highs and the crazy lows of a venture, you got to be able to see, you know, trends you got to be able to look beyond the day and like i'm just such a passionate excitable person that i wear the highs i tend to wear the highs way too high and the lows way too low uh, and that can mess with your thinking and, and cause you not to think very clearly when making decisions about the venture that's my biggest weakness uh that's the thing that i'm really working on what yeah what, what are you doing to work on that is it just putting yourself around uh, other people or, yeah. or how do you combat that here's the the number one thing that's worked for me is like true intimacy with a few people who really know me and know when to spot my ridiculous, you know, highs and lows. So my wife, really for me, honestly, it's like two people, uh, my wife and uh, my buddy, Tony, who is a co-founder on a previous venture. Mm -hmm. He and I have been working together for seven or eight years. I'll call him like freaking out about something. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like the end of the venture. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just like blah, 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 blah calm down. It's fine. This actually isn't that important. Right. Like, and not like patronizing, like he'll like call me out, right? Like you're an idiot. Shut up. Stop. Uh, and, and Kara, my wife will do the same thing. So having those people in your life, uh, that like true inner circle, uh, is super helpful. My, my agent kind of does that too. My literary agent. It's like, Hey, great. Yeah. Whatever. If this doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. We have options, blah, 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 blah. So the, the, those like more even headed people being around you is really That's important. great.
That's excellent. All right. So tell us, tell our listeners again, if they want to go get the book about the trip, kind of yep. give us the, the, the pitch one more time. All what right. we need to do to learn more about Jordan Rainer, Master of One. All right. So if you want the book, if you're interested in going deeper on this topic, uh, go buy it on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Uh, January 21st, it'll be in, you know, hopefully every bookstore in the country, pretty much every bookstore in the country. Uh, and then once you buy it, go to jordanrainer.com. And there's a little form right there that you can fill out. Let me know that you pre-ordered the book and you'll be entered to win this trip I'm giving away to Europe. And hopefully, man, that would be amazing if somebody from this show yes. uh, was in Barcelona hanging out with me. That, that would be, that'd be a lot of fun. That would be, they better leave me a five-star review if that happens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that would be like the only, like, if you don't leave a five-star review the for that, I mean, come yeah. on. Come on now, yeah. Oh man, Jordan, I'm so grateful for you, brother, and uh, your time here on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, thank you so much for your time here today. We have, uh, this has been just an amazing, amazing episode for me personally. I hope for you, if if you're resonating with this, if you're an established Christian entrepreneur, business owner, I believe that there will still be a few spots left for you in our mastermind if you're interested. Um, But also more particularly for this show, uh, we're almost at a hundred five-star reviews. Like, thank you for your feedback it has been incredible. Uh, clearly, people are enjoying this episode or this show. Um, if, if that's you, I just would ask that you would screenshot this episode and share it wherever you do social media and tag me in it. And if you do that and I see it, I will pick a few of those and actually spotlight you and your business on the next Kingdom Capitalist show. And multiple entries help. So if I see you on Instagram, if I see you on LinkedIn, uh, that gives you more points. So screenshot this episode, tag me in on social media. Would love to give you a shout out and your business on the Kingdom Capitalist show. So thanks everyone for your time. We'll see you next next week. Cheers. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.